as requested, we are now going to go into uh, the Sefer Der Hashem, the way of God, that Ramchal has written, which in many ways provides a real basic understanding of the uh, blueprint of creation, which is really very important. You know. Now, what you see from the Ramchal is that the all of creation has a blueprint. In other words, it's sort of like an architectural plan that everything has a reason why it is. And there are many things to know uh, when you're looking at, you know, what the reality is all about. You know, for instance, first of all, what are the things of reality? And uh, how are they arranged? What are their characteristics and how are they interrelated? How do they function? And, and so on. This, this reality, this whole Bria, this whole um, creation, if that we want to call that concept of creation, has an enormous amount of things in it. And as such, each thing that is in it is there for a specific purpose. So the Ramchal wrote a basic primer, a basic safer, on to explain the entire structure of this reality, and it includes all kinds of uh, all kinds of material. Now, what is interesting is that he starts off the safer in his introduction. It doesn't start off with the hashkafa, with the actual understanding of the blueprint itself. He starts off with an understanding of thinking or how to arrive at true knowledge. You see, this is something that really we should really come to understand. One of the things that uh, that happen, and what is that? When the Torah was given at Matan Torah, which is at uh, you know the giving of Torah at Mount Sinai, at Har Sinai, it was given in a certain form. You see. It was given in a super-organized form. There was no confusion, you see. There was no confusion. There was no, uh, you know, mix-up. Everything was tremendously organized. Um, This is the way it was presented. Because Chochmah, knowledge really has two aspects to it. It has the aspect of the material itself. What are the idiot? What, what is the information itself? And the second thing is how they are arranged. You see, what is the order or the organization of these ideas 
together. That's what knowledge has. It has a choymer. Choymer means the material itself. And it has what's called a tsura, a form. You see? For instance, if you take a look at a picture, let's say a painting. So a painting has two things. It has the different things in the, in the, in the, in the picture itself, right? That's one thing it has, you see. But besides that, besides the, the material of the picture, it also has the arrangement, you know, how they're all shaped or the relationship between one piece and the other. It also has that, you see. So when you look at a picture, you're not only looking at the, all the ingredients of the picture, you know, but you're also looking at the arrangement, how everything is organized, you see. So that's Choymer and Tzura. Therefore, all information really has the same idea. Any subject matter that you learn has information, data, but the information or the data is also organized in a certain way, you see. So it has Choymer and Tzura. And that is the way information should be presented for a real understanding of what is going on. So when the Torah was given, Torah, it wasn't given in pieces, you see. It was given in a way where all the information was connected. Everything was seen to everything else in its exact relationship. That type of organization has a certain name. It's called Tiferet, beauty. What is beauty? Well, beauty means the harmonious blend of separate pieces into one whole, you see. It looks like pieces, but really you blend them all into a whole, and they all seem to be interconnected. That's the concept of beauty. Now, you have beauty, let's say, in music. You know, if you take any kind of symphony, you know, let's say there's a Beethoven, the composer. Well, he wrote music. So his music, his symphonies, they're not merely musical notes, sound frequencies, but they have a certain arrangement to them. They're organized in a certain pattern. And really, in the end, that's what, that's what makes them whole or one thing. That's their organization. That is their structure, you see. So that is what's called beauty and music. Now you also have, let's say, art, where you have a painting, let's say. So in the painting, there are many different elements. There's the, you know, the shading, the colors, you know, the, uh, the distance, the perspective, there are many elements in a painting, but somehow, when you look at the painting, they all blend together, you see. Now, Chokhmah, 
wisdom is the same thing. It's not a matter of looking at each little piece. The key is to look at all the pieces together, how they all interconnect. That is what the concept of Tiferet is, Tiferet, beauty. So when the Torah was given, it was given at that point in that way, you see. It was all interconnected, where you could see how one idea is connected to, fits with every other idea, you see. And that's the beauty of Torah, or the beauty of Chokhmah, actually. And that is really the way it was given at Har Sinai, you see. It was all the information of Torah, and also how all of that information is arranged together in a beautiful, comprehensive way. That was the way the Torah was given. However, what happened? What happened was that the Jews sinned at the golden calf, with the golden calf. So therefore what happened is, is that the material, or the information of the Torah, was absorbed into what's called a kripa. It was absorbed into sort of like tum'ah, a defilement. <clears throat> and the, the way that manifests itself is that each piece of the Torah now becomes separate, you see. Each piece now becomes separate. So you no longer see the to- totality, the structure, the wholeness of all the ideas in the Torah, you see. So a manifestation of the Tum'ah, or Klippa, which the Torah now fell, now became separate, each of the pieces. It's like looking at a picture, and all of a sudden, the picture is cut into a million pieces. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. You look at the box or the picture, and you see the totality of everything. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, you open up the box, and there it is, you know, 10,000 pieces. And you're struck by the fact that, well, wait a minute, all these are pieces. You know, you no longer see how each piece of the jigsaw puzzle is connected, you see. So that is what happened to the Torah. So in its original form, the Torah is understood in all its facets, all the aspects of the Torah. They're all connected. However, because of the sin of the golden calf, the Torah itself, you see, the tremendous power and kedusha of the Torah, fell into the klippah, fell under the, the power of the defilement, and all of a sudden it became fragmented, tremendous pieces, you see. In fact, when you think about it, what happened to the Luchas Rishonis? The Luchas Rishonis is the first set of tablets upon which God wrote the Ten Commandments. So 
when you looked at those luchas rishonis, those first set of tablets, you could look at each side and you could actually read the other side of the luchas at the same time. Now, obviously, that was the middle. So you could read one side and automatically you could read that side, reading the side on the other side together with it. In other words, everything was connected. There were no pieces or fragments. What happened, however, you see, is because of the sin of the golden chair, the chetuego, that luchas became shattered. So that's what Moshe Rabbeinu did with the luchot. He took the luchos, the two stone tablets, and he threw them on the bottom of the mountain, and they became shattered. What did they do with the pieces? Well, guess what? They gathered all the pieces of the first luchos, you see, and they took them, and they put them in the oren. So, as it says in the Gemara Shabbat, Masechet Shabbat, that Shivrei Luchas, all the broken pieces of the Luchas were gathered, and they put them in the Oren. You see, and they are now in the Oren, wherever that is, in the back of the Luchot Shnias, in the back or behind the second Luchas, which are also in the Oren, you see. And that's both of them are there. So what do you see, really? Well, the physical situation of the first Luchas is, we know, fragmented and broken. But that physical description is the exact description of the Luchas in its spiritual form instead of being connected one to the other, right, they're all pieces. In other words, the physical first luchas are all shattered into thousand pieces. And that means that there is no connection between the information or the idiot of the first luchas. It's all shattered. Into bro- it's all broken pieces. So that's really the information itself. Well, that parallels the concept that when you learn Torah, really the whole thing looks like a bunch of pieces, you see. So Torah, originally, all the information was completely super-organized. When you're looking at a complete picture or understanding of the totality of Torah. Because that's really what the Or Mashiach is, the Messianic light. Now, however, after the sin of the golden calf, all that information is still there, but it's all broken pieces, you see. And that's very interesting. So the Torah is no longer in the form of Tiferes, which is beauty, it is now tremendously, uh, uh, it's fragmented and all broken, you see. And, the, and what, what creates the fact that it's broken is the klipa, is the tumor 
that forces it to be seen in a broken way, you see. Now, that's interesting, because the job really is, if you took the Torah out of the Klippa, if you somehow removed the influence of the Satan, you know, that entire world of Tumah, then immediately the Torah would be again organized. You would have Tiferes again on the Torah. So it comes out, really, that the Torah in its pure form is incredibly organized, you see. However, because of the influence of the Klippa, the Tumah, that's why it looks so disorganized. The Ramchal writes an introduction to the Sefer called Derech Hashem. And in this introduction, he doesn't talk about Hashkofa. He talks about thinking, you see. And what he says is that the mind wants to know information. It wants to know truth, you see. And the way it knows truth is by seeing the information and seeing the real and seeing the real pattern to this information. You see? It wants to look at the arrangement of the material. This is the Tferis. And that's really how a person is supposed to think, is supposed to, to, to learn. <clears throat> that is really his objective. So when you learn, it starts off with learning fragments, you see. But the objective is not that it should remain in your mind as fragmented information where everything is, is not connected to each other. You have to subject the information to what's called structure, where everything is seen as one idea, you see. And ultimately speaking, that is restoring the Torah to its original form, you see. And that's really what we have to do. When we learn Torah, we are subjecting it to two ideas. The mind which wants to know the truth subjects information or whatever it learns to two operations. The first operation is called analysis where it looks at the information and it analyzes it. What does it mean to analyze? It asks the question, what is this? What is it? What is the definition, right? Which is a, a clear statement of what the nature of something is. It wants to know the different parts of the idea. What is it broken down? It wants to analyze something, you see. It wants to cut it up and see the different parts to that information. That's called analysis, you see. But the mind also wants to know something else. I understand what something is because I've analyzed it. 
But now what I want to do is I want to synthesize this material. In other words, I want to connect it to everything else. You see, how does it relate to everything else? That's called synthesis, you see, to organize material. So when you think about it, these are the two basic operations of the mind. It analyzes and it synthesizes, you see. Therefore, there's only two things a person wants to ask of any piece of information. What is this analyzing? And how does it relate or connect to everything else? That is called synthesis, you see. Those are the two operations of the mind that the mind does in its quest to understand something, you see. Because analysis really means to know what it is and then to form a picture, what's called beauty. It looks to combine or unite everything. The mind just doesn't want to know something as a bunch of pieces, fragments, wants to connect everything. You see, I could you imagine that you walk into an automobile shop, right? And all of a sudden you walk in and you see like there's a thousand different pieces all laid out on the floor. And then you ask the shop owner, so what is this? So the guy says, well, all of these are parts of a car. And there are thousands of pieces or parts to the car, you see. So if you want to learn all about what makes a car work, you're going to want to know what each part does, right? This part and that part. There's parts of the engine, parts of the transmission, all kinds of parts, you see? So you're going to want to know all the parts of the car. Then the second thing is you want to know how to put it all together. How do they all connect to each other, you see? So when they all connect, what happens is you have a car that runs, you see. So therefore, just like a car shop or a car or, or anything for that matter, a watch, everything is, consists of two different uh, sort of like positions. One is the position of analysis where you analyze all the parts. And the second thing is the position of the connections you see, the whole, the structure, that gives you the totality of knowledge. So when the Torah was given initially, originally, from Mount Sinai, Sinai, it was given as a whole, you see. It wasn't given as parts, but when the part was given, it was always given as a whole, where you saw not only what it is, but you also see how it's connected to everything else. But it was only with the introduction of the Cheto Egel that the Torah broke into its millions of parts. So there's a problem now. You know, now when we learn the Torah, it's all pieces. 
That's one of the reasons why Torah looks like a tremendous confusion. It's always little pieces. It's always parts, you see. You know what's very similar? Who does this? A detective. A detective. He comes into a scene. Let's see. Uh, he comes to a scene and somebody was murdered, right? So he goes in and he's got to figure out who did this. But before he figures out who did this, he's got to look at all the pieces of the picture or the crime scene. What does he look for? He looks for pieces. And that's called clues, you see. He looks at different clues. And he's hoping that each clue will tell him something about the original crime scene. So his job as a detective, right, is to look at all the different clues, ultimately, and put it all together where he can figure out who did it, who committed the crime. You see? So in many ways, a detective does exactly what we do when we learn Torah. He looks for individual clues, right? And as a result of the clues, what he does is he puts it all together to find out who did it, which is really, when you think about it, the essential piece of information. So that's ultimately you want to know. Not only what happened, when it happened, how it happened, where it happened, but also who did it and why did he do it, you see. That's really what a, uh, a person learning the Torah is. He's really a detective. That's right. He's looking at all the different parts of Torah, and he's trying to put it all together to come away with not just information, right? He wants to come away with a complete understanding, what's called the big picture. He wants to see the scope, you see, the big picture, the global picture of all the information. This was the way the Torah was given at Sinai, but was changed because of the sin of the golden calf. And this is really what we have to do, you see. Any information that we have, we need to subject it to analysis. What is it? And synthesis, how does it relate? How does it connect to everything else? That's really what we have to do in Torah. You know where you see this very interestingly? In Parshat Mishpatim, which we had a couple of weeks ago, in Mishpatim, right, in the, um, there's the first pasuk where it says, V'eilah mishpatim, and these are the laws, ashetosim, that you shall place before them. That's a very unusual way of speaking. The Torah should have said, V'eilah mishpatim, and these are the laws, ashetlamdeim osam, that you should teach them. Why does the Torah say, and these are the laws, that you should place before them? That sounds something physical. You know, you don't place information before them. What you do is you teach them. So why does it say, these are the laws, 
that you should place before them, it should say these are the laws that you should teach them. So, if you look at Rashi, right there and then, right, the second Rashi actually, Rashi explains that the Rabbanu said to Moshe Rabbeinu the following, and this is the way God taught Moshe the Torah. The Rabbanu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, do not think that you could teach them each law, right? And that's it. You teach them the law and then you move on. No. You need to teach them the law, right? Then you need to teach them the reason for the law. That is called the principle. Why is this halacha so, right? Why is it so? That's called the principle. Then you need to organize all the halachot, all of them, like you're looking at a, a arranged table. You ever go to a wedding and you sit down? Do you ever notice that everything is arranged in its right manner? It's not like all of a sudden you sit down at a table, right, where everything is there, but it's all disorganized. You know, the knives, the silverware, the plates, they're all thrown onto the table. No. Every, all of this is arranged in different settings. You see, that's called a shulchan aruch, an organized or arranged table. Yes, somebody should mute themselves. That's called a shulchan aruch, an arranged table. Uh, so, Rashi, so Rashi says that, that the Bershom said to Moshe Rabbeinu the following, do not think that all you should do is teach them the law and then move on to the next law and so on. No. But these are the laws that you should not just teach them, but that you shall set before them like an organized table, like a shulchan aruch. That's why it uses a physical expression. These are the laws that you should, right, place before them. Like you place information on a table, all of it is organized, you see? So what, the, and this is the way God taught Moshe Rabbeinu. When he taught him the Torah in 40 days, he just didn't teach them the halachot individually. No, he taught him the halachot, he taught him the definitions, the the, uh, the properties, the characteristics of each halacha, that's analysis, and then he connected all the dots, like a jigsaw puzzle. He put it all together in an arranged table where everything is seen in relationship to everything else. That's the way God taught Moshe Rabbeinu. Analysis and synthesis, you see? And therefore, he tells Moshe that this is the way you have to teach the Jewish people. Unfortunately, the Torah that we have is not that way. You see, when you learn, let's say, Torah, it's all disorganized. Yeah, it has some type of a organization, but basically, it's all over the place. If you learn Mishnayot, it's all over the place. It looks like a tremendously disorganized bunch of laws. It's very disorganized. 
yes, sometimes it looks like it's organized, but only in a superficial way where it's organized sort of like topically. But it's not organized relationship. There are different types of organizations, you know, where you can put all the laws that seem to be in one topic together, you see. But they're not organized based on the relationships, how each one relates to each other. That's the greatest of all structures, is a relationship structure, you see. And uh, this is the way the Rebbeinu taught Moshe Rabbeinu, you see. So what is interesting is that Ramchal, in his introduction, begins to talk about not just Hashkafa, he's trying to tell us, you see, that the way to learn the Hashkafa is not merely just to learn ideas, but you have to learn in an organized way where everything is seen, you see, as an organized way, as some type of an organizational approach. Now, that's an entire way of thinking, you see. It's called the ability to synthesize. Now, most people are not trained to do it, unfortunately, you see. So there's two types of thinking besides analysis and synthesis. There's what's called deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning. What's the difference? If I give you a rule and then I give you, I ask you for an example, you can give an example. That means I give you the rule, which is the cloud, and you can figure out what's called a prop or a detail, an example of that rule, you see? But what happens if I give you an example of the rule, but not the rule itself, and then I ask you, you give me the rule. All you have is the example. Most people cannot do that, you see. So deductive reasoning is when I give you the rule, you see, and you figure out an example from that rule. Most people can do that. But what happens if I give you an example and I said, okay, I want you to generalize. I want you to look at that example and I want you to be able to give me the rule to go back, or I should say to go higher, you see? And I want you to generalize that. Means I want you to take a statement and from that statement, I want you to give me a general statement, you see? That's called inductive reasoning, where you, where you reverse the thinking process, you see? So therefore, there are two ways of thinking. Now, since the, most of the Torah, the Mishnayot, the Gemara, most of it is disorganized, you see? And it, for most people, they cannot create what's called the rules based on that. You see. So therefore, they're stuck with the fragments. What the Ramchal says is that one rule can combine a hundred different examples. You see? Because that's what a rule can do. You see? Let me give you an example. 
We know that if you have an object, even if it's yours, if it's food, you can't use it. You must make what's called a bracha. What is a bracha? A bracha is a device that enables you to use the food that you own. You see? It is, a bracha is a device that enables you or gives you permission to use that food or that object. You see? So, if I tell you you have to make a bracha, well, you can give examples. You know, there's a bracha called shahako and ho'etz uh, and so on. But if I ask you, I will give you a bracha, right? You tell me what it is in general. Most people won't be able to because you're asking somebody to look at the example and then figure out what is it generally that's induction. Most people cannot do that. But if you could do it, you would say, well, a bracha is a verbal statement, right? It's a verbal statement, right? That enables the person to use the object. How? Because he has to acknowledge the source of the object, which is God. You see? That's synthesis. That means I'm looking at a bracha from an example, and I realize that a bracha is a verbal statement, right, that reveals the source of this object that I want to use. It's a verbal statement that acknowledges the source of this object that I want to use, and therefore I can now use it. I can eat the food. You see? So you're supposed to look from the example and give a general understanding of what a bracha is. So you now realize what a bracha is in general, not in specific, that it is something that allows you, therefore it's a device, it allows you to partake or to use an object, right? You want to eat it. And what is the bracha? It's a statement, a verbal statement, that acknowledges the source of the object that you are about to use, and that's, what's pro- what, and that's what permits its usage. You see, that is a generalization. I've now created a general picture of what all the brachot look like, because every bracha is that, basically. You see? Uh, that really is what you're supposed to do when you learn Torah. You're supposed to look at the general or the specific, the detail, and figure out what its generality is. And then when you have all the generalities, right, then you can organize them, right, into a picture, you see. Now, for instance, that's interesting. So we realize that a bracha is an instrument or a device that enables me to use some type of agricultural product, you see? Now, if I want to begin now to look at even a higher generalization, I may ask, well, is, are there other devices that I need to use to be able to use an object? And the answer is yes. Hafrasha, yes. 
if you are a farmer and you have all this uh, plantation that you've done, products, right, and you want to use them, then you have to separate truma. You have to give a separation called truma and then another one called maisa, maiserishon, and so on, you see, and then you can use the object. Or, for instance, if you bake challah, right, women bake challah, but they can't eat it. They have to separate challah, right? So challah is nothing more than a separation, right, from the challah that you take. And we don't eat it anymore. You have to give it to a coin, but it's tummy, so you have to burn it, right? But the main idea is, wait a minute, that's interesting. That's the same thing as the bracha. Why? Because the bracha is something that you must do in order to permit the usage of an object. Well, guess what? Giving challah is the exact same thing. It is something that you need to do to permit the usage of the challah. Except it's not a verbal statement. It is rather a physical act of separating a portion of that challah, right, and giving it away, let's say to a coin, or burning it, whatever. So we now realize that there's two types of devices that permit an object to be used. One is a verbal statement, acknowledging the source of the object, and lo and behold, you can use it. Another thing which permits the usage of an object, right, is called matono, where you mafresh, you separate something from the pile of food, right? You separate it. And matono, you need to give it to a coin, or in this case, also burn it, because then it would be tome. A coin cannot eat, uh, let's say, trumo, which is tome, and so on. You see? So you now realize that, wait a minute, that's interesting. So there are two types of devices that one needs to do in order to permit the usage of the object. You see what I've done? I've gone from the particular, which is the prat, the detail, and, and I've gone to what's called the generalization, you see? I now see what it is at a deeper level. I see how it can be used to understand and include other things because I've enlarged the definition and now other things are now included, you see, in my understanding. I went from bracha to matpana, to gift, separation, you see. That's the way you have to think and learn Torah. Because originally the Torah was given that way. It was given what's called top-down. First you look at the top. You know, it's like looking at a map of the United States. So first you see all the states. Then you begin to go into each state, you see. And you go and you look into the counties. And then from the counties you begin to look at individual cities. And then in cities you begin to look at what's called neighborhoods. And then from neighborhoods you begin to look at individual streets. And then a street you look at the individual houses, you see. I went from top down. You see, that's the concept of synthesis, where you are able to connect everything into a beautiful blend. This is the way you have to learn Torah. And this is what the Ramchal writes 
in, in his introduction to Derech Hashem, is the concept of analyzing and synthesizing. And what he's trying to tell you, it's, he's not just giving you information, which he now will do with the rest of the Sefer. What he is telling you that the approach to learning is called the Derech HaYichud, the path of unity. That's what this approach is. Derech, the path or the way, HaYichud, of unity. That when you think, don't think fragmented. Think totality, where everything is connected. And then when you finally look at the fragment, you can see it within the context of the entire totality. You see? So that's like looking at a map and then going into more and more details. So the Ramchal actually wrote an introduction about this, you see? And the reason why he wrote this as an introduction, for those who would like to look at the introduction, why would he write all about how to think, how to see information, how to organize information? Because that is the derech hayichud. That is the way the Torah has to be learned. And since the Ramchal is going to present, right, he's going to present a tremendous amount of information about the blueprint. What he's saying is, I cannot just give you information about the blueprint. Because if you look at the blueprint of a house, it's got thousands of pieces of information. Everything is included in the blueprint. No. I have to give it to you in terms of the entire plan, where it's not enough to see the individual pieces. I want to show you the pieces, how they're all organized. You see? How they all blend into this beautiful blueprint. And therefore, he's telling you, the introduction that he gives is not an interesting introduction. It is a revelation of the derech hayichud, the path of unity, that since the Torah is now in the klipo, which means it is fragmented, our job is to take out the Torah out of the klipa and to unify the Torah, you see. And since the Ramchal is about to teach us Hashkafa, which is the blueprint of creation, he wants to tell you that he's going to present it in this form. He's going to present it in the form of Teferes, beauty, which is the Derech HaYichud. That's how he's going to present it. And that really is the way that we have to learn. It's not enough to be fragmented. What we learn, we want to see the total picture. We want to see what's called a bird's eye view, where you fly a mile high and you look down and you can see from that height the whole valley. You see all the valley, you see the whole valley, you see the forest and the streams of water, how they all connect. That's the way the Torah has to be learned. So that is the introduction to the Sefer. You see, many people don't understand why is the Ramchal teaching us how to think? Why does he want to give this as an introduction since the Sefer is really all about Hashkafah? But I'm telling you that this is a tremendous piece of Hashkafah. Most people 
that they do not realize what the Ramchal is doing. That the Ramchal is presenting to you one of the greatest pieces of Ashkafah. That Torah, when it's presented, has to be presented in a structural form, you see. Because that is the original form of how it was given by Moshe Rabbeinu to the Jewish people. And that's what it means, These are the laws that you should place before them. It's like a physical expression, you see? Like a shulchan aruch, you see? Like an organized table. So that's what the Ramchal is telling you. This is not merely a lesson how to think, no. It is a lesson in what the Torah looks like when it's out of the klipo. And when you present Torah to anybody, you should try to present it in the form of a structure, in the form of a map. You see? This is what the Ramchal is saying. Uh, and uh, that's a very important idea. So now when the Ramchal, of course, is going to begin teaching us about Hashkafa, which is all about the blueprint of creation, he's going to begin with the single most important idea in all of Hashkafa, which we will start. And what is that next week? What is that? Who is God? Because God, the figure of the Rabboni Shalom, is the greatest piece of information. And not only that, it is information that ultimately in the end is the total picture of everything. You see? So the Ramchal is going to be following his advice and his instruction of how to begin. You see? So that's the way he begins his Sefer by who is God, which we will do. But I wanted to explain to you, for those who are curious, to take a look at the Hagdama, the introduction to Derek Hashem, and everybody's surprised, because in that introduction, he talks about how to think. The whole concept of structural thinking, or thinking in terms of maps, overall pictures, you see, and I want to explain why that this is a tremendous, important idea because that is how God taught Moshe Rabbeinu. Tosim Lefneim, you should place in front of them like a map, like an organized table, Shulchan Aruch, as Rashi says. And that is really what you must do to understand the Torah. And that has tremendous repercussions, by the way, tremendous consequences. Because if a person sees information that way, he will have unbelievable clarity. Because the greatest clarity of all is when everything is connected. You see? That's tremendous clarity when you see everything connected together. So you understand something in terms of its parts, and you understand also how everything is connected. So that gives you unparalleled clarity. It gives you also depth. It also gives you comprehensiveness because you see the totality, the whole map, you see? And as a result of that, you are able to remember it much better because you are looking at a picture in your mind of all the information connected together. 
You see, I often use the example. Imagine if I take you and I put you in front of a picture on a wall which, which you have never seen. I blindfold you and I take you and I put you where your nose is one inch away from the picture. And I take off the blindfold. <clears throat> I say, in front of you is a picture, right? But you can't really see it because you're one inch away. So I say, you're allowed to scan, which means you're allowed to move your head any way you want, but you cannot back out. You, you've got to keep your nose one inch away from the picture. And I give you an hour to figure out what the picture is. And of course, what are you going to do? You're going to scan it, go up and down, sideways. But since you can't move back, all you can see is pieces of the picture or the painting. Finally, after an hour, I ask you, what, did you, what is it? And you say, you know, I've seen a lot of different pieces of this picture, but I have no idea what it is. Why? Because I don't see the connections between all the pieces. So I said, okay, move back 10 feet. And then you move back and you take a look at the wall and your eyes open and you say, aha, that's what it is. Because now you see the totality of all the pieces that you saw before. You see? That's the way you have to learn. Most people learn by looking at the pieces. But the real way is you need to ultimately look at the whole picture from 10 feet back and not just scan it from one inch away from the picture. You see? But in order to do that, you have to learn how to think. You have to learn how to analyze. You have to learn how to synthesize. You have to learn also how to deduce information from the cloud to the prat. Then you also have to learn to induce, which means if you see a prat, you've got to figure out what the cloud is. And that takes time and instruction. But in any case, this is why the Ramchal wrote a whole introduction explaining how to think. Because thinking this way is critical to know the Torah, not as a piece or a fragment, jigsaw puzzles, right? But as a totality. That's the ultimate form that God wants the Jews to know. And this, by the way, is the Om Mashiach. When the Mashiach will come, that's exactly how you will know all the information. Not as pieces, but finally, you will see the totality of everything. And just to give you one more example, imagine you walk into a shop, and in front of the shop, you walk by, you see this tapestry, but you're looking at it from its back. So all you see is embroidery pieces sticking out from the back. So you ask the shop owner and say to him, what in the world is this? All it is is pieces of embroidery sticking out of a garment, you know, the fabric. So the guy says, excuse me, you're looking at it from the wrong way. You just see little pieces that have no order. Please come around the other side. You walk around and you see this beautiful embroidery. You see? Now it makes sense. That's ultimately what the world is. is embroidery, the tapestry, that we're looking at it from the wrong side. So it looks like a whole bunch of fragments. The trick is to go to the other side and see the way it looks 
once everything is seen together. And that is the avoid of a Jew. It's not enough to learn Torah, but he has to learn the Torah with a form that he ultimately arrives at is the totality, the whole map, the whole picture of whatever he's looking at. And I gave you an example of Bracha and Matana. That is the introduction to the Ramchal and the logic, the reason for this introduction to the whole Sefer Derech Hashem. Any questions? Rabbi, so I know also, does that have anything to do? Because when we were given the Torah, it wasn't separated into parashiyot. It was all one long, you know, thing. And then, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was the Christians who separated it into segments. Will that all be part of this? Yes. Uh, There was a guy, I think his name was Geronimo. I think that was his name. He was a guy. I think he was a printer. And he's the one who created the Prakim chapters. So right. for instance, Bereshit has 50 chapters. But those chapters are not, they're not given, uh, that's not really the Torah. That is a Goyish uh, contribution to the Bible. The way the Torah is divided is not through uh, the Prakim chapters. It is divided through Parshiot and through Psuchos and Stumos. Pei and Samach. You see? That's the way it's divided. You see? Right. Not Prakim. So what you're saying is, uh, in that sense, true. I'm just providing you some of the history. You see? Yeah? Any, any questions? Well, it's come to think about. Most people, you know, are not familiar with the whole concept of that there's a way to think correctly about how to learn Torah. The concept of learning Torah as a picture, or rather that's the ultimate objective. You see, unfortunately, that's why most people see the Torah as a thousand different pieces. And therefore, they never really get clarity. They never get depth. They don't really get comprehensiveness. Because it's like a jigsaw puzzle. It's like memorizing, trying to memorize each piece of a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, never really seeing the whole. And and that is the Torah. Because the Torah wants to be seen in that form, which is the big picture. You see? Any questions? I hope everybody understood what I'm saying. Yes. Right? I think I was pretty clear. You know? So, aside from this, did you feel anything different on Purim? Well, Purim, this Purim was a very holy day. It was uh, three parts, which is interesting, you know? Uh, So, uh, hopefully, yes. Hopefully it means that there's some type of beginning 
you know, to the end of this, you know. You know what I found funny? That when Esther yeah. asked, asked the Jews to um, fast, it was the three days. And now we had the same three days to pray all those extra tefillah. Yeah, that's also true. That's right. Yeah, you had to fast three days, and now we had Purim for three days. Yes, that's a good observation. You know? Well, you work. So now, okay, so now how do we know? Like, okay, now how do we know? What happened? Like, you know what I mean? How do we know? How do we know if the Pekita happened? We don't know. If it happens, it'll unfold in front of your eyes. We don't know. It doesn't come. That's what it means uh, that the Mashiach comes, the Hesachadas. We don't know. It just happens. And everybody is stunned. You see? How did the Jews know by Kriyas Yamsuf that the sea would split? Nobody could imagine that. Nobody ever saw that before. Whoever saw that a sea should split? Right? Nobody thought about that. You know, <clears throat> Moshe Rabbeinu, he knew because God told him, go forward into the sea. But nobody could imagine that the Gulah was going to happen in a way which never happened before. Now, could you imagine an entire sea splitting? Nobody could do that. Same idea. The Geula will happen out of nowhere. And it will be miraculous. You see? And when it happens, it will be so stunning that everybody will be shocked. But it's going to happen. Look, this is not an event that we can plan on exactly how. It's going to come out of nowhere and it's going to be spectacular. Because if it was spectacular by the first gula, guaranteed it's going to be spectacular the second time. Look, remember Yosef Atzadik? Here's a man who was in prison for 13 years. And as far as he was concerned, he was finished. He could never get out. It's not like you could hire a lawyer. <clears throat> there was no way he can get out of prison, right? And all of a sudden, somebody comes over to him and says, by the way, you not only are freed, but you are asked to stand in front of Paroi. Do you think Yosef Atzadik could have imagined that? Of course not. <clears throat> because even if he would have been freed, he would have been in shock which of course he was. You know, it's like Rubashkin. You know, when they came to Rubashkin, you can imagine he's in prison, I think, for nine years. And all of a sudden, somebody says, you're freed. Okay, he was in shock, of course. But by Yosef HaTzadik, it was much greater because not only was he freed, which is the first shock, the second shock is that he's actually brought in front of Paroi. Could you imagine? He probably is going to faint. But then he got a third shock. What was that? He became the second most powerful man in Egypt. All in one day. 
Now, did you ever hear anything like that? Of course not. You imagine three shocks in one day? In fact, that shock was impossible. No man, nobody, would ever say that the, the that would say that the odds of this happening is impossible. To get released from an Egyptian prison, forget it. Then to stand in front of Paroi and to be asked to be a consultant, impossible. Because after all, you're a prisoner. And then the third thing is that you should become the vice president of the entire land of Egypt. There's not one person on the planet that could have predicted this. And Yosef is the forerunner to Mashiach ben Yosef. Got it? So I'm telling you something. That this is exactly how it's going to happen to Yosef HaTzadik, to the Mashiach ben Yosef. He is released. is going to be stunning, spectacular. And it's not just going to be a release from the Klippa. It's going to be a release from the Klippa and, right, a, an elevation, an aliyah, an elevation to a spectacular position of which he himself will be stunned. Got it? So that is the forerunner of when it happens. Now, can you figure out what it's going to be? No. Because it is so out of the ordinary, it is absolutely extraordinary to such an extent that nobody could figure it out. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why you cannot know. Because it's not something that's ordinary. It is called extraordinary. And when it does happen, then everybody will know. You know? <clears throat> it has to be a shocking event. It has to be so spectacular that the Satan does not know. That even the Satan cannot dream that this is going to happen to the Redeemer. You see? So the, this spectacular event you're speaking about, that happens after the Pekita? Yes. That is the Pekita. That is the Pekita. No, that event is the Pekida that is happening. You see? So that's the concept of Hesachadas. That he's going to come in a way which nobody even can imagine. And when he gets out of it, then that is the beginning of the redemption of the Jewish people. Because his Pekida is also the, the Pekida of the Jewish people. And that is going to be spectacular. You see. So, where would you put, uh, like, uh, that, okay, let's say now Purim happened, and now there's a shift in, in, in energy for the Jewish people. What would you, like, what, what is that categorized as? If it's not the picky dot, then what is that? I don't get your question. Say that again. Okay, so like now, let's say Purim happened, and now 
um, God willing, there's like a shift in energy with the Jewish people. There's like a more uh, positive outlook, a positive energy like surrounding us right at the moment now, especially that it's going to lead through into Passover. Uh, um, so what this like transition, if it's not the picky dial, what what would we call that? Well, it will be the picky dial. Oh, will be the picky dot. Yes. Oh, it's like right. oh, so the picky dot is 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 a process. It's not a automatic. It's not. Well, it's a, a process. A it's a process, but the process can be spectacular. Look, you look at the same thing. I just told you how it worked by Yosef at Sadik. I told right. you how it worked with the Jewish people at at Yamsuf, but the same thing with Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, here's an old man, he's 80 years old, he's a shepherd, right? As far as he's concerned, he's finished. He's an old man, he's 80 years old. He hasn't seen a jewel in 54 years. Not only that, he can't even go back to Egypt, because they'll kill him, right? So he wakes up in the morning, right? And as far as he's concerned, it's over. Life is basically over for him, you know? Maybe he's got another couple of years to tend to the sheep. He's an old man. He's 80 years old. We're not talking about a 35-year-old shepherd. He's an old man, right? So he gets up in the morning, and he figures, okay, here goes another day for the rest. The same thing as what was true for 54 years. And guess what? In the middle of the day, he sees this light, fire, that's burning a bush. It doesn't seem to be doing anything to the bush. Right? Do you think he thought that this would ever happen to him? That's spectacular. To look all of a sudden on that day when he figures it's all over. He must have had a tremendous sense of yush. Yush means he gave up. Gave up hope. Right? In the morning, he figured, that's it. This is the rest of his life. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something spectacular happens where he views a miracle. So the first thing that happens is he sees a miracle. What is that? That a bush is on fire and it's not consumed. It's a nest. The next miracle that happens, right, is God talks to him. It's a nevuah. It's a tremendous prophecy where he experiences a level of nevuah. And he's awake. Remember, most nevi'im, they experienced nevuah when they were asleep or in a trance, I should say. He's experiencing this awake, fully awake. So that's a second shock, is that he's talking to God while he's awake. Yes? And then the third shock, what was that? That he is anointed to be the Mashiach. Could you imagine he was shaking like a leaf in a hurricane after he walked away from that bush? Could you imagine the, the, the three spectacular things, just like Yosef? Three spectacular things, Right? It's extraordinary, right? One was the snare, 
The second was the Nevoa. And the third was that he is now the Goyal. Do you believe this? How can a person go from a deep pit to the uppermost heights within one week? It's astounding. We don't see things like this in real life. You see? We don't see things like this. That is the Pekido. You see? And the Pasuk before, it says that the cries of the Jews went up to heaven. Right? And God heard their cries. And then it says, Vayeda Elohim. God knew. What did he know? He knew that the time of the Pekido has arrived. You see? So just think about that. Moshe had no idea that this would happen. Yosef HaTzadik had no idea that this would happen. And the Jewish people by the Yamsuf had no idea. As far as they were concerned, they were finished. Their back was to the sea. And on the other side was the entire Egyptian army wanted to slaughter them. Uh, you see? Same idea. You know? None of them had any idea of how they could not only be saved, but how they would be elevated. Why? Because when the Jews were to the back of the sea, the first thing that was spectacular that they had no idea was that they could be saved, right? From the Egyptian army. They had no idea how that would happen. Yet they were saved. The second idea is they were saved by a miracle the likes of which nobody has ever seen before. The Kriyas Yamsuf. Nobody ever saw a sea split. Right? The third incredible idea is the Giluyim, the revelations of that sight. Like it says in Chazal, that the average Jew, the maidservant, saw more, more spirituality than Yecheskel ever saw in all his Nevoa. Could you imagine all of that in one hour? No. You can't. Again, there you are again. The spectacular redemption of the Jews. So if this is what happens in terms of Gula, and this, and this is not the real Gula, because eventually the Jews went back into the Klippa. So could you imagine when the real Gula happens? Could you imagine what God has in store for the Mashiach ben Yosef and for the Jewish people? If this is what he did for a Gula, which was only temporary, could you imagine what he's got in store for something which is permanent? Could you imagine how extraordinary it will be for that which is permanent? And the answer is no. We cannot imagine. But it's going to happen, hopefully very shortly. Spectacular. A redemption doesn't happen out of, in the ordinary way. It is completely extraordinary. Like I say, it happened for Yosef, and then for Moshe Rabbeinu at the Sneh, and then for the Jewish people at Kriya Samsaf.
all of them, was beyond comprehension. And nobody could ever have predicted any of this. You see? In fact, who could have predicted the Makot? You imagine? Who could have predicted the complete overturning of the nature of the world? You know, nobody. Nobody saw it coming, basically. So this is really what happened. So if this is what happened, Kalvachoyma, if this is what God does to take the Jewish people out and to redeem them, when that redemption is not permanent, it's only temporary, could you imagine what's going to happen when the gula happens, which is the real gula? It will be no less spectacular and extraordinary than what happened before. Just have to believe it will happen and hang in there and it'll happen.